Sleepy Hollow is a place like no other. A place where the forces of good and evil collide for the fate of the world. Prophecies foretold witnesses destined to protect us all. But will they prevail? Armed with keen insights and the ability to see into dark realms. Well, maybe. Barb and Steve help decipher The Witness Prophecies, a fan podcast dedicated to Sleepy Hollow on Fox. Welcome to Witness Prophecies, a Sleepy Hollow podcast on Golden Spiral Media. I'm Steve, one of your co-hosts, and joining me is... I'm Barb, and we're going to be discussing episode two of season three today, Whispers in the Dark, written by M. Raven Metzner and directed by Russell Fine. Okay, shall we start with a little bit of a recap here today, Steve, for everyone? Let them know what happened in the epi? Sounds like an idea to me. Well, the episode opens with Inkabod merrily cleaning the house, doing laundry, and cooking, all while singing a little English ditty. You know, I sure wish he'd come to my house and clean. <laughs> anyway, it appears that he's become Abby's new roommate until he finds a residence of his own. Meanwhile, Pandora continues to grow her strange fox plant. A man talks on the phone to someone outside a coffee shop, then calls the FBI to tell him his secret as a shadow monster attacks him. Now, Abby's called in to investigate this heart attack death of the man. And since he was on the phone with the FBI, that's her responsibility. So Crane tags along, and then her new regional chief appears on the scene, Agent Daniel Reynolds, whom she knew from the Academy. Now, it's clear that there is history between Abby and Danny, and Crane seems a little bit perturbed by this. Crane researches Creatures of Shadows and also his plan to try to preserve their archive and keep it from being torn down. His inquiries about the apparent tension between Abby and Danny and is advised to maintain good fences. When they listen to the message that Paul Everett left for the FBI, they can hear other voices in the background and Crane recalls something that Abby's ancestor, Grace Dixon, wrote in her journal in 1776. Now, during that period, General Howe, who was the commanding Britisher, British officer, raised a whispering wraith to root out colonial spies. A human host is then bonded with the demonic shadows, and this happened to one Marcus Collins, whom Crane knew as a turncoat. Flashback to colonial times, and Crane informs Betsy Ross that Collins is their enemy and that their cover has been blown, as Crane was summoned to protect the identity of Washington spies. Betsy calls out Marcus Collins, leaves the barn, and is rescued by Crane. Now back in the real world, Crane and Abby realize that the shadow is in Sleepy Hollow to find people with secrets, whom are colleagues of Paul Everett, and they set out to find them. In the B storyline, Joe Corbin calls Jenny and tells her that her trailer has been trashed. Joe is trying to understand what special connection Jenny and Abby had with his father, but Jenny isn't telling. Now, Crane and Abby are trying to find Everett's friend Williams at his home, and then they're attacked by the shadow. They have memories of their own secrets as William flees, 
crashes into a tree and dies. Abby finds a loose floorboard in William's home with papers beneath it. Cutting to a parking garage, Joe Corbin is kidnapped by an unknown male. Abby and Crane discover that the killed men had uncovered an embezzlement scheme for the county's pension plans. They identify another witness to this scheme. Once they find her, they hide her in a safe place with lights to ward off the shadows. Back to the B storyline, and Jenny finds the man who kidnapped Joe. He says he knew Joe's father, wants an artifact that Jenny stole, and she proceeds to uh, kick his posterior. He holds a spear to Joe's neck, and she gives him the shard of Anubis. He leaves. Jenny frees Joe. Back to Abby and Crane. Naturally, the lights go out, and Crane goes to investigate. The shadow wraith monster appears and threatens Crane with his secrets. Crane realized that Betsy spoke the creature's name and that it didn't harm her. He speaks the name of the traitor, Marcus Collins. Speaking the true name of the wraith turns it to a human form, and Abby and Crane are able to kill it, making it disappear. We are now on Abby's porch, and Crane confesses his secret. He momentarily thought of giving the names of his fellow spies, but it passed quickly. The weight of secret lifted. Then it was Abby's turn. She said she searched the FBI database and found her father. He is alive and lives in Saratoga. Abby hasn't seen him since she was six. She has watched him and taken pictures, but she hasn't told Jenny. She hasn't contacted him directly either. She isn't sure she is ready. Now we cut to Danny and Abby. Now they clearly have history. Pauses over breakfast. Danny wants to move up, but why is he in Sleepy Hollow near Abby? Cut to Jenny and Joe. Joe thinks that he deserves an explanation from Jenny. Once you open the door, it won't be easy to close, Jenny tells him. Joe isn't afraid of finding out the truth and following in his father's footsteps. Joe wants to go after the shard with Jenny. Find it and reclaim it. Crane is still trying to find a way to save their archive and realizes that the coffee shop is no longer there. He and Abby realize that Pandora is their new big bad. Cut to Pandora. She is watering her special plant, and as it grows, it produces a purple rose-like flower. What does it mean? Dun, dun, dun. Well, in some relatively good news, <clears throat> the ratings were 3.36 million viewers with a 1.0 share of rating in adults 18 to 49 with three share. That's down slightly from last um, week's uh, premiere of 3.5 million, but just slightly. And normally, the second episode of the season can see up to a 40% drop, and we are not having a 40% drop. So, way to go, sleepyheads. And we also haven't seen the plus three and plus seven day. Seven days, right. Right. So, and we did have, have that for episode one when we did that podcast. So, these numbers have nowhere to go but up, we believe. Yes. <laughs> oh, they will. Absolutely, they will. So, Steve, what kind of rating did you give the episode this week? Well, 
I enjoyed the episode. Uh, it kind of surprised me a little bit that Abby is, yeah, she kind of told her secret, but she didn't tell all her secrets, shall we say. So I'm going to give it eight befouled clangers. Oh, I like that rating, Steve. <laughs> we'll have to tell everyone what a clanger is later, yeah. too. Yes. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give this 8.5 purple roses. Mm -hmm. I also like the episode quite a bit this week. Uh, I thought that the embezzlement story and trying to save those folks was perhaps not as, as strong as I think that what we saw last week. Right. But I really did like the interaction uh, between our main characters and felt that it was good that we got a little bit more information um, about where where things are going. And I, it was nice to see the reveal at the end uh, with Crane and with Abby realizing that Pandora is going to be a problem. Yeah, is who they're dealing with. So, yeah, it's that was definitely a big plus that they are now no longer blinded to who they're dealing with. Now, how much they're going to be able to dig out and figure out, uh, time will tell. Because following what we would kind of expect the Greek mythology to follow, so... Let's see what the writers do with it. Absolutely, and I'm sure we'll speculate on that a little bit later. Yes. Now, of course, Pandora is the one who calls the Whispering Wraith out of her box. It needs secrets. So we've uh, had fear, yes. and this week we've, we've had secrets. secrets. Uh-huh. Do we see a possible pattern Forming here, things that people are afraid of that you know, may hurt them in them some way. Kind of almost like the uh, definition of opening Pandora's box. A bit. A bit, yeah. <laughs> and yet, this is what Pandora is trying to collect: first, fear. And then secrets. Uh -huh. And giving up one secret may make one quite fearful, I think, as we saw. Yeah. So maybe she was getting a two-for-one bargain, fear and secrets. secrets. All in one shot. shot. I don't think we want to go shopping with Pandora. No. <laughs> no, I don't think I would uh, want to go to Ghouls R Us. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> so what about this original Whispering Wraith, Steve? Well, what do you think about that? Well, we find out that uh, ends up being a turncoat. And Ichabod knew him. And it, I kind of got the feeling that <clears throat> he wasn't originally a turncoat. He didn't turn until after Ichabod had known him for a while mm -hmm. and then he changed sides so that made it a little more personable person personal for Ichabod because not all you know he knew the guy and he was actually causing danger to other people Ichabod cared about 
and worked with. So, And I think that Inkabad said that what literally, what, hundreds or thousands of people lost their lives? Lives. Mm-hmm. And that would make it very personal, especially if these are people that you know that you've been fighting with for a long time. So I can see that he would have very harsh feelings toward Marcus. Yes. Mm-hmm. And what did bump, 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 bump? Betsy Ross, super spy, do today. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'll tell you what. They are redefining Betsy Ross on this show. No joke. Oh, my. So she uh, has all sorts of little um, tricks up her sleeve. (laughs) So I guess it's the best way to call that. So, yes. So she literally was uh, distracting General how with her her wiles her womanly wiles i would say and uh when she came out uh to be rescued by crane or actually when he came when she came to meet him i he had no part in her rescue i think that she took quite adequate care of herself and he saw the way that she was dressed betsy oh my the woman and she said oh don't worry you know clearly nothing happened she took care of it But in the barn, it was interesting because the two people that they wanted to also save and take with them, one of whom was the violin player. Mm -hmm. Always the artist. It is always the artist that goes, what a shame. Anyway, they were both already dead in the barn, and they were clearly taken out by the whispering wraith. And But when she called out Marcus Dixon's name, it seemed to linger into evaporate at least a little bit so she neutralized the monster at some in some way and enough so that she and crane could escape right yeah it it kind of brought the first wave of the name calling kind of brings it down to earth from its hovering above and that was enough to to let, allow her to be able to get away from it you know, and interestingly, when, when, you, when you disclose your secret, the power that someone else may have over you is really gone because you've already disclosed it and put it on the right. table. <laughs> and so by, I think by calling out the name of, this, of this, this wraith, this monster, it disarmed it. And, yeah. and I, I'm going to say that that's probably the parallel that we are meant to draw uh, during this story. Mm-hmm. They need the the power of the secret being kept, mm-hmm. not the releasing of the secret. Yes, exactly. So what was happening with Joe during this time, Steve? Yeah, we finally get Joe. We didn't get to see him in the first episode. And I really enjoyed having him back everybody loved him last season when he was on so it's great to have him back and i i love that he's really trying to step into his father's footsteps but he's getting blocked every every time and I wonder, yeah. don't you, do you think that some of that is uh, the reluctance of Jenny as well to engage back in, in what was clearly a very dangerous period for all of them? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, they, you know, dad got killed. 
they don't want to see the same thing happen to the sun. They're, they're trying to preserve the Corbin name there to a little, you know, mm-hmm. to an extent. And because they almost grew up together as well. Yes. So Joe's kind of like their little brother. And so, yeah, you're going to keep your little brother out of harm's way as much as you can. And I, and I'm, I really get the feeling that that's what, what is keeping Jenny trying to hold him at arm's length in all of this. It'll be interesting to see in future episodes if that's the way that that relationship plays out, if it really is, you know, the older siblings trying to protect the, you know, baby brother. Uh Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, he finds her trailer trash, so immediately calls her and of course wants to know what's going on. No matter what he says, he can't get the answer he's looking for. Then he gets kidnapped. What the uh, guy wants, who apparently was one of Jenny's um, competitors during uh, an earlier stage in her life, um, Wanted the shard of Anubis. And what exactly is the <laughs> shard of Anubis, Steve? Any ideas? Well, what does the beautiful internet tell us about that? Yeah. Well, Anubis holds the ultimate judgment over the dead, measuring every heart against the weight of truth. So this uh, shard apparently is uh, his way of uh, measuring that uh, weight of truth. That would be a very interesting artifact to have if you were, yes, if, if that was going to potentially be the difference between where you spent your eternal life or where you may be thrown next. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It it almost calls back to uh, season was it season one in Sleepy Hollow, yes. where we did have that that little play in the underworld, and Abby was stuck there for a while. Yes, she mm-hmm. was. because yeah, that's right. Because they got Katrina out of there, and then Abby Abby was was the well, well she was the replacement. She was the swap. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, and <clears throat> we don't see uh, who uh, the. The competition was working for, and are we actually going to see that in the first minute of next week's episode, him showing up at um, Pandora's place uh, with the shard, just like um, what happened when Henry, with Henry. And that would be interesting because so far we've seen Pandora working completely on her own. Her own, right. Uh Uh-huh. And so it would it would be interesting to see if if she is reaching out to other people to get things that she needs or that she believes that she needs uh, to help complete her mission, whatever that might be. Or is it someone else, another player that we are unaware of? Someone that may be helping Pandora in the future. Someone who may be a sidekick. Yeah. Right. Some that she, someone that she knows from her quote-unquote prior life. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, those are two very interesting theories. Yeah, certainly, 
something that we see in the first act, we will see again in the fourth, mm-hmm. fourth act. Yes. It's the, uh, what is it called? The gun. Oh, yeah, Chekhov's gun. Thank you so much. My memory failed me. That's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. All right, what about Jenny? So, Jenny, she was certainly trying to keep Joe in the dark, as we were discussing, uh, and she gave up the shard to get Joe back. You know, She felt that this artifact just wasn't worth it. And I think that that also then shows where she might be also. You know, is she really ready to take up the fight again? Um, Of course, Joe's life is more important than any artifact. I think that our team has shown that if they need to go and get something or recover something, they can do it. Yes. But you see that same, in my mind anyway, reluctance that we saw with Abby in the first episode. You know, I don't know that I, you know, they don't know that they, either one of them really wants to go back to that type of a life. So I don't think that we have seen Jenny's awakening to the fight yet. And it may be a few episodes before we see that. Because certainly neither she nor Joe know about Pandora. Because Abby and Inkabod have just figured that out themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. But boy, did she kick that (laughs) guy's... Yes, she did, didn't she? That was awesome. Uh Uh-huh. Mrs. Bamp is back. Oh, she was bad. Oh, she was so bad. (laughs) And I love the way that she told him, oh, you know, I only, I was doing this because I can't, you know, I can't let my reputation, you know, get out that I'm some, you know, weenie wimp and I've lost, I've lost my, you know, super kick your posterior powers. (laughs) That, oh, she completely pulled the wool over his eyes. That was awesome. Yes. Nice writing. (laughs) So anyway, speaking of uh, Inkabod, Steve. Oh, well, we get to see him singing while he cleans. Oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> he has a lovely voice. But, yes. we, but we knew that from the karaoke. Yes. So it was absolutely. lovely to see him sing again. I still think that he and Abby should do more karaoke. Oh, absolutely. Yes. 100% agree with that. Yes. And he's even done the laundry except maybe a little too much of the laundry. (laughs) Your unmentionables are supposed to be in the hand wash basket. (laughs) Oh, Oh my. This is not what it seems. (laughs) (laughs) No, Crane, it's not. (laughs) Of course, her her comeback to him was wonderful. Yeah. (laughs) You got to give up your flapjacks to fit into those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he's all—he's so happy. He thinks he's done something just absolutely awesome. He's made her breakfast. He runs, comes into the kitchen, and realizes the oven's smoking, and he's burnt breakfast. So let's let's roll this tape back a minute because he can clean, but I'm not sure he can cook. Yeah. <laughs> uh, apparently, yes. Um, well, of course, um, I guess that is, you know, 
men tend to uh, lose track of time when they're involved in something. And I guess he kind of lost track of time while he was cleaning. Or while he picked up her unmentionables and that flustered him and he forgot he forgot to set the timer. Maybe he doesn't know about a timer yet in the new world. Yes. All right. Well, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm sure it would have been wonderful. Yes. From the sounds of it, it would have been excellent. I thought it was huge that Crane could admit to Abby that his secret was he at least thought about giving up the names of the other spies. Even though he didn't do it, just the thought has been like a anvil around his uh, neck for centuries. And And it was amazing that he was able to give that secret up so easily. Well, Abby is someone that he trusts and he respects. And as she told him, it's something I think that made him human. Mm -hmm. So I think that that was a beautiful moment on the porch between the two of them as they sat and discussed their secrets with each other. Yes, it absolutely was. And of course, with a little prodding, he recalls that um, Betsy uh, called uh, his name out. So that was the one key uh, ingredient in defeating the Wraith. So they were able to uh, take it down. And he knows that Abby is keeping a secret. Now, do we actually think that it was him thinking she had a secret secret? Or was do you think he was expecting her to admit to having a little something-something with Daniel? No, I don't think that he had any preconceived notions when he talked to her. Okay. I, I, I think that... You know, he observed the same thing about her that she observed about him when they were no when they were pursuing or when they were going to William's place, right? Um, and then when they were attacked afterwards, that the wraith did have some at least some control or impact on them because they were both carrying secrets, and I think that that was one of the great things. Then was that as she sat down and she opened up with him and she told him the secret about her father. And she told him that while she was with the FBI, she was able to find these files and these records. And so she knew that her father was alive. And so she had gone to, in essence, spy on him and take pictures of him, and, but did not have the courage to approach him. And I, and I think that's very interesting because that's part of the fear of rejection. Because if mm-hmm. you found someone and you don't understand... Why did they leave? You know, why did you not want to be a part of my life anymore? And and the Mill sisters have had so many difficult things to go through going up as we've shown been shown in their history. And so this would be just one more blow, you know, and she doesn't and she didn't want to tell Jenny about it. And right. I think that that's a very real uh, reaction and feelings and emotions on 
Abby's part. And I think that the writers did a magnificent job with that. I think it'll be very interesting to find out, you know, who is who is daddy? So, but in the meantime, the writers kept us amused with Abby's new boss, Daniel, yeah. because it's clear that they have some type of relationship, and it's clear that Abby has no intention of discussing that with Inkabod. No, um, which. Between that and the breakfast comment, that really leads one to speculate in a very interesting direction about exactly what kind of relationship that they may have had, and that it wasn't necessarily just about competition to push the other one to excel and get no. through FBI training school in a short amount of time. No. No, I don't think so. No. The one meeting they had, uh, it might have been in the... Um, the house where Abby finds the evidence after they talk as he goes walking out he grabs her arm and you go you I, I knew right then no you if this is not boss and subordinate here <laughs> oh no because you wouldn't be doing that if you were you know completely in that boss role so uh He's got some fences he needs to learn to uh, <laughs> obey as well, I'm afraid. I think so. And I know that we have so many people that are um, are, are shipping uh, Crane and Abby. You know, and I, I don't watch a TV for, uh, program for the shipping. I watch for the characters, for the storyline, etc. But it certainly is interesting to watch the dialogue and... I wonder how many raised eyebrows uh, there were after uh, people realized that there was probably a little bit more between Daniel and Abby yeah. than what they might have surmised in the first episode. Yeah. <laughs> but I think just as interesting has been uh, Crane's reaction, you know, just very, huh, uh, you know, kind of miffed and, being keeping keeping the good keeping the boundaries keeping the fences and being a good neighbor but mm -hmm. certainly he is curious oh yeah quite curious yes and seeing that this wasn't a historical matter uh yeah it, <laughs> it was kind of uh yeah uh ichabod you don't need to be here and ichabod says uh yeah i think i do <laughs> now, i'm not sure that it's all big big brotherly so, no. and, uh, you know, as the, as we get into more episodes, we can talk about that because there was some, again, very interesting conversation about their relationship during Dragon Con that I don't think I'm going to get into today because I think there are a couple other things I'd like to talk about, but, um, there was quite a bit of dialogue about that and their relationship and what I it would bet. look like in, in season three. <laughs> Well, shall we get into some ickyisms? Let's do that, shall we, Steve? What did what, right. what do you have for us this week? <laughs> well, we've got a few. Um, let's first start off with half the colonial army were after my Bedfordshire clangor. And you know, to me, a clangor is a bell, but obviously <laughs> that wasn't the case. It was a it was a burnt something in in Abby's oven. So what did you find out about the Bedfordshire clangor, Steve? 
Well, it's a dish from the country of Bedfordshire in England. It is an elongated sweat crust dumpling with a savory filling at one end and a sweet filling at the other. Hmm. Comprising a main course and a dessert in one package. There you go. Ooh, you're making me hungry. I haven't even yeah. had dinner yet. Yeah. And the cupboard is bare. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh. yeah, meat. It's usually got meat and diced potatoes and vegetables in one end, and the sweet is usually a jam or a sweetened apple. So, yeah, that was going to be uh, some... Some breakfast that Crane made for, for Abby. Sounds yeah, like geez. breakfast, lunch, and dinner. dinner main yeah. meal and dessert all rolled into one. <laughs> oh, I'm hungry now. Oh. And, of course, he has to cuss when he finds out. Oh, hell's teeth. Our first week as roommates, and I've befouled the kitchen. <laughs> I liked that one. I did, too. And I have to say, I think that was my favorite one this week. And, of course, you have to keep the uh, archives in play. So a plan to keep the archive in our possession. I've applied to have it declared an, an historic landmark. Did you know there was a proposition to tear it down and erect an apothecary? An apothecary? Another one? <laughs> uh, I'm thinking that Crane doesn't like drugstores too much. No. <laughs> uh, an apothecary. It sounds so formal and expensive. Yes. Mm. Uh, I was hoping it was he was going to say a Starbucks, but he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Yes, the coffee shop. Yes, no. He called. I think he called it just a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. So in history this week, Steve. You know, obviously we've learned that the Bedfordshire clangor is food, and it sounds absolutely yummy. Mm-hmm. Um, but more than that, there was an inter- something interesting that happened at uh, the Sleepy Hollow panel at Dragon Con. And Tom Meissen actually researches these historical references and facts that are used on the show. And he has politely, I'm going to say, provided <laughs> input to the writers. Nice. And yes, and Nicole Bahari said that he is a stickler for detail and he wants to, he just wants to ensure that the show is historically accurate. Um, other than some of the things I think that we're saying now about Betsy Ross. Ross yeah. But she said, he, she said that he spent a lot of time going through the scripts and looking up things on his own time again to make sure that, the, that they had everything historically correct. And he was quite modest, and he was a little blushy when she said that, um, and and she gave him high praise for this. So it's something very interesting about Tom Meissen, a little factoid that the fans may not know. That is absolutely fantastic. Isn't it wonderful? Yes, because he's doing the same thing we're doing. We're, we're going and said, oh, okay. Let's see what what are the, what are they actually twisting here, <laughs> you know, and he's he's right there with us saying, "Man, wait a minute, mm-hmm. let's not go too far." I wonder if he actually tried to bake one of those things. Oh, that would be so nice. Oh, we should tweet him and ask him that. Oh, yes. I don't think he's on Twitter. What a shame! But I'd like to know if he actually made one. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't we'll put have, it past we'll, him. Mm-hmm. We'll go to M Raven. Yep. That's her. Yep. We'll go the ex- executive producer. There you go. <laughs> Raven will answer me. <laughs> All right. That is just 
Absolutely fantastic. I'm glad uh, somebody else besides us uh, podcasters are trying to keep the uh, riders straight. You keep up the good work, Tom. Amen. <laughs> All right. We've got some theories now that we're two episodes in, or at least possible theories, questions. Uh, will Jenny bring Joe into the Scooby gang? Well, you know, Steve, I think that it's inevitable. I think the question is when he wouldn't yeah. he wouldn't be back on the series if they were not going to include him as part of the posse, right? Exactly. I I agree. Uh, I don't see that it's going to be too long. You know, if he keeps bringing up dad and following in dad's footsteps, it's just a matter of time. You know, series regular, so he's going to be in most episodes. So, yeah, I expect it to happen within a few episodes here. Although, when I consider a show like Person of Interest, which is another GSM podcast, there is a character um, on that show, Lionel Fusco, who has been part of their Scooby gang mm -hmm. for several seasons. And while I'm sure he's figuring out some of the things that are happening, he has not officially been quote unquote read in, if you will. He probably will be this season. Right. But I think, you know, in, in that case, uh, is it possible that Joe may be hanging out for a while? And, you know, he could be, but I, I kind of doubt it. Yeah, um, I can see them maybe, you know, I can see how Team Machine can kind of keep some of that uh, from getting into uh, Fusco's uh, knowledge. But when you start talking supernatural artifacts, it's kind of hard not to <laughs> figure that one out. <laughs> Something else is going on here. Yeah, I think that if Joe sees a flying fear or a whispering wraith, he's going to get a clue pretty quickly that things aren't exactly the way they seem. Yeah, he was a Wendigo last season. So, oh, that's uh, true. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, it's a good point. So, yeah, he knows something's going on. He just don't know exactly what yet. <laughs> and will Abby tell Jenny about their father he's gonna have to uh, she's gonna have to at but some will point she, yeah in time. will she wait until she's ready to say something to him or after she said something to him Ooh, or here's a thought jenny with her excellent ability to dig up details facts etc what if she finds out before abby tells her She's going to be ticked. That could cause a a strain between the sisters for part of the season, and that could be a very interesting twist also. Yeah. And then it would also then make more make Jenny more likely to confide in Joe earlier and bring him into the gang because she may need some protection from a supernatural evil, right? Mm-hmm. So I, there are probably a, a couple different things that could happen. But but so here's the big question. So where has Daddy Dearest been all these years, right? Why hasn't he talked to his daughters? Exactly. <laughs> Do you think yep. he knows anything about some of the supernatural hauntings that his wife had had? Do you think that he was approached by evil? Do you think that Corbin told him that he had to leave his daughters? 
or that something happened and he knows about it? I that wouldn't surprise me if uh, Corbin was involved in him leaving. He just he promised Dad that he would keep an eye out on the daughters just so he could get out of there and get away from it. So that that is a very strong possibility there. Or he just had enough of his wife going cray cray. <laughs> yeah, but you know, to compl- you would have taken, you know, you would have would you normal father, you'd have taken the kids with you. Yeah, and so that's why I'm thinking that perhaps we're gonna see an associated big bad monster somewhere. But it could it couldn't be Pandora. Well, I can't say that it couldn't be Pandora. Although Pandora did say in the first episode that it had taken her a very long time to get back to Sleepy Hollow. Uh-huh. So exactly. I, you know, very long is, you know, on this show time, I think is just a matter of, you know, hand wave. Um, right. So maybe, maybe Pandora did know their father, or maybe there is some other evil creature that's associated with Pandora that knew their father. Okay. Or maybe we're just all wet. Yeah. <laughs> and do we think uh, Ichabod will actually become an American citizen to save the archives? How would he produce a birth certificate? <laughs> exactly. Hi, I was born 250 years ago. Years ago. ago. <laughs> uh-huh. Sure you are. He may, he may have he may have problems with that. Yeah. Or he's going to have to find one of uh, Jenny's friends who may be a forger, you know, someone a little nefarious mm-hmm. and who can get him fake paperwork. Although I can't see him doing that with his sense of ethics. Yeah. Although if it was to save his beloved archive. Archives, yeah. Uh-huh. I, I think he would go that far to save the archive. Well, he I'm might. Really All right. And finally, what? is the green thumb that Pandora is growing. I don't know, but these vines, you know, we've seen them a few times on the show, and they just, they grow all kinds of little spinely limbs, and they they wrap themselves around things, and it looks like this little, this wannabe tree vine creepy-looking thing is going to be another one of those. But Yeah, did you think it looked like the... Um... You know, the four white trees that we had before? No. No, it reminded me of the one in the house that kept growing and trying to... Right, the the tree monster. Yes. (laughs) So, I don't know. Um, I'm I'm sure that it's a completely different hybrid. And especially with this apparent purple rose on the vine, right? Right. So, what on earth does that mean? So, purple roses are apparently primarily stand for enchantment and mm. the giver of the purple rose seeks to convey that he or she has fallen in love with the recipient at the very first sight, which I'm not sure if we're, we're seeing a lot of love here with Pandora and our, and our witnesses. No, <laughs> no, but, but yeah, <laughs> but yes. So, the there is a deep magnetism and charm that makes the recipient almost irresistible to what the purple rose seeks to convey the, at the first the very first meeting has totally enticed the sender of these flowers who simply cannot resist the object of his desires 
So I'm wondering if this is going to be used as some type of enticement for evil instead. Or possibly to get good out of the way. That's an interesting thought. Could it be used by Daniel to attract Abby and get her out of Pandora's way? Ah, so that Pandora may use this as a tool for Mm -hmm. someone else to actually get Pandora what she really wants. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. Entrapment. See that happening? Yes. <laughs> uh, interesting. There was only there was only one, one rose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It will. We'll have to see if there are more roses later on that sprout. But I'm thinking there will be only one. And so the question is: Will we see it next week, or will we wait a few episodes before we yeah. actually see what happens with this rose? Well, we would certainly love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Uh, We want to welcome our new Twitter followers, and thanks to all for the retweets, favorites, and interaction. We also want to welcome our new fans on Facebook. And speaking of fans on Facebook, Todd left us a message. Are they setting up Joe as the new Holly? Jenny's old life as a thief coming back into it is something I can do without and prefer focus on supernatural. What does that old friend of Jenny work for? Or who does that old friend work for? Yeah, we definitely need to find that out. Hate that main FBI boss sees something supernatural and then promptly dies. Total reboot of Corbin Sr. in season one. I think that's it for now. Well, thank you, Todd. We mentioned that in our episode one recap of uh, the uh, her first boss being uh, a reboot of Corbin because <laughs> great actor. You get excited and oop, there he's gone. Yes, that was very sad. <laughs> now, as for Joe as the new Holly, I don't think so. Holly was... Um, an artifact hunter, right? And and Holly right. Holly was more about Holly, I think, until he began to get some feelings for Jenny. And I think that Joe is really about being well, a legacy to his father right. yeah. and carrying on his father's life work. So I, I think that there is going to be a very different dynamic there. Yep. I totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. Would you like to let everybody know how they can get a hold of us? I certainly would be glad to do that. So you all can get in touch with us in a number of different ways. You can join us on Facebook at Witness Prophecies. You can also reach us at www.goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback. You can call the line at 304-837-2278 and leave us a message. That is three minutes or less, and we'll get that. You can use the speak pipe widget that is on the right side of the page at goldenspiralmedia.com. You can always email us, do a typey-typey with your written feedback, or you can even attach some audio feedback. If you'd like to do that, we'd love to get it. You can also find us on Twitter at 
Witness Prof GSM, which is W-I-T-N-E-S-S-P-R-O-P-H-G-S-M. You can catch up with Steve at Salyer, Steve, S-A-L-Y-E-R-S-T-E-V-E. And you can find me on Twitter at Tangier14, T-A-N-G-I-E-R. Now, our feedback for deadline is 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Saturday because we do record on Saturday evening. Okay. Now, if you don't want to be spoiled on future episodes, you might want to... Run. Turn turn us off right now. (laughs) Run. Pretend we're either that fearful demon or that we're a whispering wraith and run from us. Because episode three, Fear and Blood, Pandora has another weapon to pull from her box. In the promo for next week's episode, Blood and Fear, Pandora unleashes an ancient knife that, when in the possession of a person, messes with their mind so that they then go on a murderous rampage. Pandora is having a bloody good time spreading evil throughout the town and is seen partying the night away on the dance floor of a club. Hope it's not the one that uh, Ichabod and Abby sing karaoke at. Oh, I hope not. (laughs) We also see a quick glimpse of an apparition from the past, so it's very likely this ancient knife is tied to some evil mastermind. (laughs) Mm-hmm. The official synopsis of Blood and Fears is as follows. Fear is rampant in Sleepy Hollow when Pandora releases an ancient artifact from her box that can transform an ordinary human into a terrifying figure from the past. Now that's interesting. A terrifying figure from the past. The past. Uh Uh-huh. I wonder if this is where we're going to get our history. More than likely. Yeah, because when I first read this and and it talked about unleashing the ancient knife that when in the possession of a person messes with their mind so that they go on a murderous rampage, I was reminded of the coin that Mm -hmm. we had from season one, that when a person had that in their possession, um, they turned completely to the dark side. Right. And yet this sounds like it's going to have a different type of a twist to it if they turn into somebody from the past. So that might be quite interesting to watch. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think we might get a uh, possible Jack the Ripper. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. We cro- cross over into slasher tor- territory before yep. Thanksgiving. Oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my. I guess we'll just I'm have just to saying. wait a few days and find out. Yeah, just saying. Do we have any other future titles uh, from episodes coming up? Sure. Episode four on October 22nd is entitled The Sisters Mills. Mm. So maybe this is the daddy episode. That could be it. Uh, Episode five on the 29th, Dead Men Tell No Tales. This is our Bones crossover episode. So... <laughs> oh, they're gonna they're gonna team up with Booth and Bones, huh? Uh huh. That will should prove to be very interesting, to say the least. And that could be very amusing too, because that's scheduled to run right before Halloween, actually. Yes. <laughs> 
So I could I could see a bit of humor in this one, especially mm-hmm. given the relationship between Booth and Bones. I don't know how many of our listeners have watched that TV so. show, but uh, it can be quite amusing at times. Yes. And episode six, The Red Lady from Caribbean. We don't have a date yet on that one. No. Yeah. That's to be announced. And I'm sure they'll tell us when they're ready to let us know. Yes. So please review and rate us on iTunes with good ratings and reviews. It helps other fans of the show find us, as there are many other Sleepy Hollow podcasts out there. To subscribe in iTunes to any of GSM's podcasts, go to goldenspiralmedia.com slash iTunes and you can get all of them in a single feed. How convenient is that? It can't be more convenient than that. Absolutely. Tell your friends. Hope you're enjoying our podcast. And if you're thinking about buying the newest season of Sleepy Hollow that just was released on DVD, please use our Amazon links. Doesn't cost you any extra. And we get a kickback of a couple of cents from Amazon. Sounds like a great thing to do. Absolutely. Especially with holidays coming. Exactly. Well, Steve, this has been a great episode to discuss with you this week. It sure has, and I've enjoyed it completely and looking forward to the next one. Ah. Blood and Fear. Oh, I'm scared already. Yes, more fear. And blood, though, too, this time. Ugh, yuck. Yes. <laughs> yuck. All right, sleepyheads, this is Steve. And this is Barb signing out and keeping no secrets. <laughs>